Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we've got uh, some news to talk about, uh, among other things. Um, not a ton happening this week, but uh, someone gave us a real good talking point uh, for later in this podcast, that's for sure. Um, but let's start with the, the few pieces of news, I guess, this week, Chase. And uh, I would say the biggest one is the Habs finally hired a GM. Uh, they obviously hired Gorton back to be the president of Hockey Ops back in November, and people were kind of um, assuming he might just take the role this year and kind of pull all the strings, um, which I think was fair to assume, and, and I think uh, still is anyways, um, because the new, the new hiring is definitely someone who does not have any general manager experience. Uh, and that would be Kent Hughes, uh, who was a former player agent, has been hired as the new general manager for the Canadians. Um, so it's definitely a kind of a, a way of uh, Gorton to take him probably under the wings and and kind of show him how, how it's done while he learns on the job here. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about this, to be honest. I know nothing about this human being. Yeah, like I hadn't really heard of him before. He was a player agent for a couple different guys, if I'm not mistaken. He was, uh, he does speak French, so he's, he checks off that whole bilingual uh, kind of thing, as Jeff Gorton does not. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how this works. It, it came down to apparently uh, Matthew Darsh uh, and Danny Briere were the other two candidates. Uh, Danny Briere has had some, um, general manager experience, I believe in the ECHL. Uh, so I was kind of thinking it might've been Briere, but uh, Hughes obviously uh, was the one who shined through. I, I'm, I don't know. It's good that it's not just another retread, I guess. But yeah, at worst, or at worst, it can't be bad. Um, the fact that they've hired someone uh, even super hardcore fans have never heard of, I think gives a lot of light to the idea that they just hired a mouthpiece for Gordon. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely, you know, it it makes more sense when you say they didn't hire retread when, you know, their VP of hockey operations is uh, definitely a retread who has done it. But yeah. at the same time, like, I don't know if that's necessarily – a bad thing like it's definitely good to have some nhl experience in there as well so it'll be interesting to see how the dynamic goes um some of uh kent hughes former clients include chris letang patrice bergeron darnell nurse drake batherson mike matheson colin white anthony bovillier anton hudobin marcos candela sammy blaze nick paul nathan Beaulieu, uh alex newhook uh among others so um you know he had about 20 25 uh, clients and some pretty big names in there, obviously Latang, Nurse and Bergeron being uh, of the biggest. So um, he definitely has a connection throughout the league. And I can't, one thing I can already see being annoying is the, when player X is a free agent being like, Ooh, I wonder if he'll be interested in Montreal. Hughes used to be his agent after all. Oh, you know, that's coming. I've already seen it with Patrice Bergeron. It was mostly a joke, I think, but I've already seen it. And I'm like, I, I, I cannot put up with this already for the next like five years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's coming too. And like, I'm sure one of the times or something like that, it is going to help. And then we're just going to hear about it on every single sign. Any yeah. decent new signing is going to be, well, they got a player agent in and that's why he knows how to negotiate from the other side yeah he's been on the other side of these contracts he knows what's going on um the montreal canadians are in a frankly awesome uh, hilarious spot right now they have spent the most money according to cap friendly they have the highest cap hit right now and they are dead last in points uh last in the league in points first in the league in cap hit they currently have 94 million dollars on their cap they're using 12 and a half million dollars on ltir just to show uh, how injured they've been this year. Uh, Weber obviously is on there. Paul Byron's $3.4 million are on LTIR. And then on IR, Gallagher's 6.5, Edmondson's 3.5, Allen's 2.875, and Matthew Perot is 9.50 on there. Uh, and then Carey Price is still 10.5 under the NHLPA Player Assistance Program. So uh, they have been 
Very injured this year, to say the least. Uh, obviously, you know, we talked about taking a step back. No one really saw it coming this aggressively, I think. But um, it's going to be really interesting, uh, in my opinion, to see where you take this team. Because um, there's been a lot of talk about, like, like, obviously the best thing for them is to strip it down and fully rebuild. But, like, how do you do that with some of these contracts? Well, that is a good question. You wait it out. You, you kind of have to, right? Like, I don't think it's, I think it's a little understated how bad Bergerman left this team cap wise. Yeah, there, he should actually get a medal. Uh, most <laughs> money spent and in last place with like millions tied up for like five plus years in a horrible team. That's kind of impressive. Like Josh Anderson's got 5.5 for five more years. Hoffman's got 4.5 for two more years after this one. Dvorak has 4.45 for three more years. Defoley's at 4.25 for two more years. Now I think that's a tradable contract. I would, I think a lot of teams should honestly be interested in that. Not even just tradable. You probably get like a first at the deadline for that. Yeah. Uh, Suzuki has 7.875 starting next year. Um. Petrie has 6.25 for three more years. Savard has 3.5 for three more years after this one. Uh, and then you go, Armia's got 3.4. Like, who thought it was a good idea to sign Joel Armia to a four-year deal at 3.4? Mark Bergevin, apparently. Brendan Gallagher's got, I think, six more years at 6.5, maybe five. Five more years after this one at 6.5. Edmonton's got two more at 3.5. And Jake Allen's got one more at 2.85. So in... Literally in still, what, three seasons from now, uh, they are going to have 19.52. There's another 10. So 30, about $36.5 million um, on the cap. And that's not even including uh, Carey Price's, his $10.5 million. You know, so it could be upwards of $47 million with Carey Price if he, you know, if they can't find a suitor for him. And that's in three years from now with a team that is not young to begin with all on aging contracts. Yeah, this certainly seems like something if we're being realistic and they actually want to, to go back to the cup finals, you're probably going to have to five-year plan it. But uh, the, the nice thing is, like if you came into Ottawa or something, let's say you believe the team needed a five-year rebuild or whatever. It's probably not true, but like let's just say you believe it. Because of the teams, but like people expect that team to turn around. So you're just not going to get that kind of patience. If there's one market you might be able to get away with it on, it's the team that was in the cup final last year. Yes, I, I definitely think that Hughes and uh, Gordon are going to have the advantage of, well, look at this couch sheet. What the hell did you want us to do about it for about two or three years? Like, I, I really think it'll be this year, next year, and maybe even the year after that before they take any heat for a team being bad in this market. Yeah, they've definitely bought some time. Especially if there's a clear plan laid out. Because I think that was the biggest problem with Bergevin is he would make moves like they're like make moves like acquiring a much older player in Weber, like they're competing, but then also sell pieces off like Pacioretty two years later or whatever. So it would be like half in, half out, not really sure what you do. If they come out and say, listen, the whole Babcock, there's going to be pain stuff or whatever. We are rebuilding and we're going to stick to that for the next two or three years. I think this market would openly be happy to just have a plan forward. Yeah. At least so, the like hardcore fans would be, I would think. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously no one's going to be thrilled that the team sucks for three years, but I think generally speaking, most people would understand. And if there is a mark, the other thing, you know, comparing like an Ottawa market to, to Montreal, um, you know, one of the reasons I was so surprised Ottawa committed to the full rebuild is because I didn't think they would be, as willing to do it because it means, you know, low, low attendance numbers. Whereas, yeah, obviously it's not ideal if Montreal's not raking in, but even when that Mon Montreal sucks, I'm sure they will still be very close to a packed building and probably still relatively expensive tickets compared to other markets. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And they also have like a bit of the foundation, right? Like we think the Suzuki contract was kind of high risk, but like, Suzuki's still a player there. Like you still have a couple of young guys to kind of, it's not like they're the Arizona Coyotes either. 
No, like Cole Caulfield's still 21, and I, I know he struggled this year, but, you know, there's still the makings of a good player there. Um, you know, they uh, have a couple other guys that they've drafted over the last draft and the year before that. You know, Caden Gooley's a guy in the mind. I don't know if he'll be any. I know uh, guys that we are uh, friends with aren't quite as high on him as um, maybe the mainstream media is, but he's still a big prospect name. So it's not like they have absolutely nothing to work with. Um, so it, it'll definitely be interesting to see where they go. I, it sounds like they're going to get an automatic first for uh Sherratt this year. Um, again, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how, but uh, you know, so they'll probably have an extra first this year. Um, I don't know how much more they're going to do selling at the deadline. Kulak will probably bring a mid round pick back and then up front, like Paquette might get a depth pick, but that's really your only expiring uh, forward. Um, so, you know, I, I could reasonably see they already have three second or three third round picks and two fourth round picks and uh, Carolina, or sorry, it'll be their first round pick this year. Um, I could easily see them having a second first round pick in this draft, a second, their second three thirds, and then maybe like a fourth or something for Kulak. Um so I, I could see them pretty easily having a lot of draft picks for this year. And then I think in the off season is really where you could maybe move a Tyler to Foley. Um, you know, obviously if a carry price trade was to come in the next year or two, I think that would be an off season deal when, you know, teams can move around cap space a lot easier, but if you have any hope of even moving like a, a Josh Anderson or something like that, uh, Petrie, maybe, you know, Savard is a name. I think it's going to have to come in the off season. So, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to try and find any kind of value for any of those guys. Yeah, I would think you'd be able to get something. Like teams for, just love these. They're they just went to the Cup Finals and everything too. They got that going for them. Yeah, the Josh Anderson contract's a little long. I, I'd be a little surprised if you can get anything for him. But yeah, well, like uh, each deal and stuff like that. Yeah, to Foley, I think you could absolutely get close to a first round pick for um, Petrie. Probably the same, to be honest. Maybe maybe teams would be a little concerned about his age, but I think you could get definitely an asset back for him. Um, Drew and you could probably with one year left at 5.5 on Drew and if you retain for this year, I think you could get something for Drew and like, Oh, absolutely. So, uh, it just depends how much they're willing to retain. But the other thing that works well for Kent Hughes is I doubt money is that much of an object for him. Yeah. It, you know, obviously Montreal's owner is, uh, you know, there's obviously been some questions for how big of a market it is, but he definitely is willing to spend. And I'm just looking at some of the, the quotes that are coming out. He's doing a presser, you know, for about 30, 40 minutes ago, and they're encouraging quotes. And you, granted, they're just quotes, um, you know, um, but at the same time, like he's already said uh, things like analytics uh, matter to me, uh, which is just it's sad that that is a baseline in 2022, but there is definitely some other hires where it would be the opposite statement for there, or it doesn't show the whole picture or whatever. Um, you know, uh, the, I think he had also talked about how he's offensive minded and wants to build a team, you know, that that's fast paced and can keep up in today's NHL. Um, there's another quote that he said, the word doesn't matter to me, whether it's rebuild reset. My vision is to build a team that can win for years. Um, so to me, you know, that kind of signals long-term, vision here right um he said i just got offered the job on monday and had to negotiate my contract i've had a lot of people to meet i'm going to meet them in vegas get to know the players as much as people as player and then get to know everyone within the organization then it's time to focus on the trade deadline so uh, i think it's pretty clear overall that um they are focused on the long term here which again is the most important thing for this franchise because we've been saying for Two or three years now, it's probably time to rebuild, even with the cup run that was built in last year. Oh, 100%. Also, the more I think about it, like the context around this is awesome. Like rebuilding mm -hmm. is kind of frowned upon or whatever, but this guy can walk in and just like the team's failed so miserably, he can easily sell it as like, look, what the hell else was I supposed to do? Like, this yeah, was just for him to do this perfectly. It reminds me a lot of, and obviously it's a little different because of who they are. This is a guy who doesn't have any GM experience, but the absolute gift that Steve Eiserman got in terms of time when walking into Detroit two years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he he got it obviously in part because he's uh he's Steve Eisen, but still. Uh, I was gonna say he gets benefit of the doubt on making questionable draft picks because he's or you know not, I don't even feel if questionable is the word, but sometimes it looks like maybe they reached for a player by a couple spots, but people go, it's Steve Eiserman. Do we really want to doubt this guy? But you know, when he walked in, everyone knew they were like, this team's not gonna do shit for three years. And I think this is year three, if I'm not mistaken, of him because he walked out before the cups and they won back-to-back cups. So yeah, this would be year three of him GMing the Red Wings. And sure enough, they're, you know, starting to look like they might turn it around a little bit. They're not a good team this year, but they're not a bad, like horrid team either. So um, yeah, it reminds me a lot of that situation where they are both going to have a lot of time here to say, what were we supposed to do? This team sucked when we took it over. So we're just trying to, you know, make it better long-term. So um, I don't know. To me, it's encouraging uh, enough seeing, you know, the early things and I'll be really interested to see what they do at the deadline. I think it's everyone in that organization seems to know it's a a lost year for them. So they will definitely be selling. Um, It'll just, uh, you know, this summer, I think to me is going to be more interesting than the trade deadline because I think they're going to have more opportunity to do stuff with, you know, some of those longer term guys this summer than they would uh, at the trade deadline. Yeah, a lot of them seem like more summer things, which is probably good. Give you some time to like assess the landscape and everything before you make uh, massive moves rather than like having to step in. It's like, boom, day one, trade carry price kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, even in that one quote, he said he wants to get the know, know the players as players, but also as people, right? So, and, you know, as much as um, we probably both agree that uh, – intangibles are a little overrated when it comes to, you know, some people describing them in hockey, it is, it still does play a part. Right. So, you know, maybe it's someone like Josh Anderson, where it's like, we want to keep this one solo contract that is probably going to be bad, but he's a good enough guy in the room. We think it's worth it to have his $5.5 million, even when he's 32 or whatever. Right. So, and then the only way you would figure that out is taking time and getting to know people. Yeah, exactly. It's going to take a bit. And I'm sure just like, scouts and stuff i know a lot of gms like to have their guys but i'm sure some of the scouts are worth keeping and some aren't and all, all those little things i assume take a decent amount of time yeah absolutely so uh yeah it'll be interesting to see where they go um it'll this year like that i think it's hard to overstate how pathetically bad this team is yeah like oh, that's, that's kind of hilarious actually they have 21 points in 38 games the Arizona Coyotes currently have 22 and 37. So they have a worse win, uh, points percentage than the Coyotes. This Coyotes team is legitimately one of the worst rosters I've ever seen in my entire life. Like yep. ever. I, I don't even know. Listen to this lineup. Clayton Keller, Phil Kessel, Louis Erickson, Nick Schmaltz, Andrew Ladd, Anton Roussel, Lawson Krauss, Johan Larson, Ryan Dezingle, Kristen Fisher, Riley Nash, Alex Galchenyuk, Travis Boyd. That is just in order of their cap hit. They have like Clayton Keller playing third line because they don't want him doing anything. Yep. <laughs> like Tra- Travis Boyd is their one C right now. First line Tra- center. Travis Boyd. And then on the on defense, they have uh, Chicharin, Strahlman, and I think Chicharin's missed some time this year too. Gostas Bear, Ilya Lubushkin, uh, Kyle Capiano, and Dyson Mayo. I don't even know and who that is. Yeah, I uh, don't either. And then their goalies are Scott Wedgwood and Kirill Vajmelka, the guy who has honestly played amazing this year. He has been the best player on their team. Uh, it feels like every time I hear his name, he's he's got a 907 on this team, which uh, I think is impressive enough. Um, I picked up one of their goalies yeah. for fantasy last year because or last week because I desperately needed a a goalie starter. I wasn't going to hit it, and I had I'd never heard of the dude. Ivan Prosvedov, I think his name was, 22-year-old, 44-save loss <laughs> to the Colorado Avalanche in a shootout. So he did his job for me, but... Uh, yeah, it just this team is so bad, and the Canadians are somehow worse right now. You absolutely love to see it. Like, <laughs> take in just like how cocky they were going into the season, too. Because yeah, I mean, like, belief that they might be good, like, online. Oh, yeah, like, people, and I mean, it's not like we saw them being this bad, although, you know, I, I mentioned to you a couple, I think it was probably about a month and a bit ago now. 
you know, do you ever have one of those uh, off season takes where you really wish you just committed to it? And you, you know, cause you'd look real smart right now. For me, that was the Montreal Canadians have a very good chance to just absolutely blow up this year. Yep. I, yeah, the, I had, I'd risk there was always there. Yeah. I had said it a couple of times in the off season where I was like, I could easily see this team being worse than Ottawa. And like, it was definitely a very hot take to say at the time, but now it's like one of those things where I wish I kind of leaned all the way into that take. Um, but you know, I, even, I didn't think they would be quite this bad, but I, I did think the uh, absolute bottom could have fallen out. That's for sure. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like we were really low on this team and have been for a really long time. Yeah. And even we said, you know, if everything goes right, they're still a playoff bubble team, but like, Odds are we, I think, I think I had them in my median projection, just kind of like 20th in the league, somewhere around there, you know, eight yeah. points out or six points out of a playoff spot, not, but not near the draft lottery. I, you know, not uh, leading the draft lottery. It looked like favorites for Shane Wright. Oh, you love to see it. Now Wright's been disappointing too. Like nothing can go well. That's that's the thing too, is I'm really curious. So obviously, you know, we're not massive prospect guys, but like even just watching the box scores for Shane, right? Like the OHL is usually a league where it's not too often, especially if you're a top pick, if you're not lighting up that league, you don't suddenly just turn around and light up the NHL after day one. And Shane, Wright Hasn't exactly had the greatest uh, uh, rookie season or not rookie season. Sorry. Draft year. Um, in the OHL here. No, not uh, like it's, it's good. It's one of those things like the anchoring effect, right? Like if somebody random had that season, it'd be so cool. Huge breakout season. But when Shane Wright has the season, it's like a gigantic disappointment. Yeah. Like he's at 31 points in 25 games. That's not bad by any means. If your fifth round pick had that and it's D plus one year, you'd be, everyone would be going nuts. Yeah, But, you know, when you've been the absolute slam dunk, can't miss first overall pick for like four years now, it's just a little, a little disappointing, you know? He had like, did he have exceptional status? Uh, no, Bedard's the one who had exceptional status. Uh, yeah, he only, he played last year, he had 66 points in 58 games with Kingston. And like, to give you an idea... Like Mitch Marner put up 126 points in 63 games in his draft year in the OHL. Yeah. Yeah. And Marner wasn't even like talked about as the top three. Now that's no. an insane draft class, but still. Yeah. Like he was in that 2050. He was in the McDavid draft class, obviously. But yeah. But like still, like that's, that's what I mean when I say like, like 126 points in 63 games is well over. Well, not well over. I guess it is a point per game. Two. Or two points per game. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I mean. Whereas, you know, uh, Shane Wright is a little over a point per game. And and again, like, it's not horrible, but it gets to the point where I I do wonder if there's going to be any talk about him not going first overall. Probably. I feel like if he was scoring six points per game, there would still be talk about him not going first overall. Yeah, that's true. And I guess maybe my, um, my other, my more my bigger question is more not him going first overall, but maybe is this not the absolute stack draft class that people have been talking about for, you know, a year, two years now. And and again, I, I have no idea, you know, I'm not a prospect guy, but it just seems like if the slam dunk can't miss first overall pick, isn't even having that great of a season, he's not falling out of first place. Like what's that say about the rest of the class? Yeah, and you got to wait pretty heavily towards the top of the class too, right? Because there's so much uncertainty outside of like the top 15 picks, right? Yeah. Like just him being bad can do a lot of things to your opinion of the draft class because it's so heavily weighted on the top X amount of guys. Yeah, absolutely. So um, some NHL news, they announced a schedule. Uh, re- they've rescheduled all the games that have uh, um been postponed up until this point. So it is going to make for quite the schedule. I saw that. I believe Edmonton has 49 games in 101 days. Um, Ottawa schedule. I was just reading off to you. So they got rescheduled February 7th, 8th, 10th, 12th, 15th, 19th, 20th, 22nd for home games and February 13th, 17th, 
for away games. So that means just the rescheduled game. I don't think, I think this would have been the Olympic break that they had, but in February 7th to 22nd, they have 10 games to play. So in what, 15 days, I guess that would be 10 games, which is just insane. And they're not going to be the only ones like Edmonton has that Toronto is going to be very close to that. I think as well. Um, Obviously, you know, it's something that we knew was going to have to come, but um, it is going to make for a lot of hockey for a couple of these teams down the stretch. Yeah. It's going to be like uh, AHL level stuff. You already see that. Literally like a lot of three and four nights. Uh, obviously, I think AHL does three in a row sometimes, so it won't be quite that bad. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how teams um, balance it out too. Because like for Ottawa, it doesn't really matter, you know, if you're like, they just lost the game against Buffalo last night and people were calling it a trap game. I was like, there's no such thing as a trap game for a team that is in 28th in points and like <laughs> 26th in points percentage. Like yeah. Buffalo is ahead of them in the standings right now and they're tied for points percentage. Like it's, uh, I don't think you can call this a trap game. You can't just expect to be beating this team. Um, but, you know, for Toronto down the stretch, if Toronto plays like four games in six days or whatever, I think there's a pretty good argument that like you, don't want Jack Campbell playing or like, especially Toronto for the bigger picture. If they play like eight games in 16 days or whatever, you probably don't want Jack Campbell playing more than like four of them, given all many he's already played. Yeah. You actually have to start thinking about that trade-off here, a team that has playoff aspirations. Yeah. And now lucky for Toronto, I think, you know, this is where, you know, Peter Mrazek can maybe give himself a chance to kind of bounce back and rebuild his value because he's been atrocious in four games this year, but he's also been hurt for, for so long where, you know, he haven't really been able to get to see him much. So maybe on some of those, you start giving Peter Mrazek an extra game or two here or there. Cause I'm pretty sure Jack Campbell's on pace to play like 70 games this year, just because of how spread out the schedule's been. It's kind of funny how quickly it went from like, Oh, the big problem with evaluating Jack Campbell is we've never seen him play to like, holy shit, we need to play Jack Campbell less. Not because he's uh, not not doing well, just too many games, too much. Don't want him getting tired. Yeah, like he's on pace for 63.7 starts this, or games this year. So it's 64 yeah. games. Like that is that is crazy even for like, for anyone at this point. I'm pretty sure I saw he had already come close to surpassing his career record. By the time um, this comes out, he will be two games away from his career record halfway through the season. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and and his career record was thirty one back in eighteen nineteen with LA, right? So, uh, yeah. he hasn't even done that in a couple of years or in three years now either. So, um, yeah, if that's the pace that he's on at the NHL level. So he, it'll definitely be for a team like Toronto. They're definitely going to need to use him less, and to the point where like. I'm going to be curious to see even down the stretch if they call up a third goalie at times just to give him even an extra night off where it's like, you know how they had the taxi squad last year. You'd see teams sometimes be like, we're not even dressing you because you're just not going in. If our goalie gets shelled, it doesn't matter. We're putting in our third stringer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was the only other big piece of news, I think, that dropped uh, this week in terms of the NHL. And even that, like, again, there's not a ton to analyze. It's just that, like, teams are going to be uh, um, really getting pushed here for uh, games, and it'll be a lot of hockey to watch to make up for the past couple months because um, they, right now, as long as there's no more cancellations, which with how much of the league has gotten COVID, it kind of seems like they won't be. Um, you know, they're still ending to end by April 29th. And also, did you see, I guess the other piece of news was that they are planning to stop testing asymptomatic players. I did see that. So I don't, I don't think that's the right call. I know they're not alone in it. Like the NFL started doing that a couple of weeks ago. I think the NBA was leaning towards it as well. I don't know if they ever officially made that happen, but I, I don't know. Like I, it's such a delicate situation, obviously. And I think anyone who's listened to this podcast for the last couple of weeks have noticed Chase and I step around COVID topics here and there when we can, because it's, it's such a nuanced discussion. Like it really is. 
but I don't know. Like part of me, if you want to test less, maybe, but like the whole point of testing is so that you can see if people are sick and stop the spread because the, the point of taking asymptomatic players out of the game isn't to risk them playing or anything. It's that they can't spread it to other people who could spread it to other family members and such. Right. Like, so just simply not testing anyone that's asymptomatic. I don't know. It just, it doesn't really feel like you're doing your due diligence on this. No, like I would probably want to know if the person next to me was asymptomatic. Yeah. Now, now it opens you up to a false positive problem. Uh, statistically, when you're testing people who you have no reason to believe are sick. Uh, so maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know how big of a fall, false positive yeah, but like, problem it is. Even that, then you get like an Austin Matthews situation where you just test him again, get the, like speed up the test results. And within under a day, he finds out it was a false positive and he does like, he's good to go. Right. Like I just, and maybe, maybe the NHL's argument, and this is the only thing I can really see compared to like the NFL. So the NFL, I really disagreed with it because we know there's still a relatively large number in terms of a relative number to sports players. Anyways, that are unvaxxed. The NHL theoretically still only has, one unvaxxed player in it. And yeah, that's for two number. So which m- maybe the NHL's argument is well, if 99.9% of our players have the vaccine, which is supposed to prevent symptoms from showing and make it uh you know uh much safer for them anyways, we're gonna take less precaution in terms of getting it, which again, I don't know if I fully agree with that, but at least that would be more of an argument than the NFL would have. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't really know how to feel about these. It kind of seem like, I don't know. People kind of get mad either way. Yes, there is. It is very aggressive on no matter what side you seem to be on, um, you know, which is, I don't know. I don't even know if it's unfortunate. It's the right way. It makes it hard for to, to see any meaningful discourse a lot of the time. Yeah, it doesn't lend itself to Twitter particularly well. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I just as I'm scrolling here, I'm seeing uh, apparently. So the Ford government is set to reopen uh, restaurants and gyms on January 31st, and then they're eyeing a full reopening in March. Which, again, to me, makes enough sense. That's probably a month. So you probably go 25 percent, then mid February 50 percent. And then March, 100%, people are freaking out right now on the timeline. Um, Just calling this place a joke, pathetic joke, losing their minds. Like, there's just no nuance to anything, right? Like, so, and I I would assume that's the same here. So it'll be interesting to see if the NHL does make that official. I didn't see if they actually made it official or if they were just talking about it. I don't think it is official yet, the policy, but it looked like they were leaning that way. Yeah, right. I, I had heard we were leaning that way too. I don't know if it's official though. Yeah, I hadn't seen anything come across that's official, but uh, all right, I think it's time. I've put this off long enough. It is time to get mad about the Edmonton Oilers for a second week in a row. This time, it is not the team though. It is a scribe, a journalist, a Hockey Hall of Fame member, Chase. The goat, some would say. Yes, the best Twitter account follow out there because you don't know if it's a real person or a parody to the point where so much so that someone made a fake account of him last last night. And I believe it was Steve Simmons, Mark Spector, uh, Theo Fleury, among other noted idiots, were actively defending it, not realizing it was a troll account. The one and only Jim Matheson caused quite the stir in the media yesterday when he asked Leon Dreisaitl, quote unquote, uh, why are you being pissy? <laughs> um, to which Dreisaitl re- responded, I'm not. And then to which Matheson replied, yes, you are on all my questions. Uh, if I can figure out how to put the audio in properly here, I will. Um, so there might be a pause here where the audio is actually in. But uh, I'm going to play it safe that I'm going to be lazy and not figure out how to do that for this episode uh, and just put the whole transcript here 
of what it was said. So the the, viral, the, the clip that went viral uh, was Matheson asking a question. For anyone who doesn't know, Jim Matheson is a old, old beat reporter for the, the Edmonton media. Like, been on the job for, I think, over 40 years now. Um, has all kinds of wild takes. Is one of the many, many media members in Edmonton that just carry all the water for the organization. Um, here's this question to Leon Dreisel. He goes, lots of reasons why the Oilers are playing the way they are in terms of winning and losing. What do you think is the number one losing for the losses now? Is there one thing in your own mind that you said, we've got to be better at that? Dreisaitl goes, yeah, we've got to be better at everything. Matheson goes, would you like to expand on that? Dreisaitl goes, nope, you can do that. You know everything. Which then <laughs> Matheson replies, why are you so pissy, Leon? He goes, hmm? he goes, why are you so pissy? Dreisaitl goes, I'm not. I'm just answering your question. Matheson goes, yeah, you are. Every time I ask you a question, Dreisaitl goes, I gave you an answer. Matheson says, not a very good one. Dreisaitl says, okay. And then Matheson asks another question. He goes, Leon, you showed your frustration on the ice against Ottawa last game. Is that a good thing when you show your the other team so the other team knows your frustration? you're frustrated? Dreisaitl says very sarcastically, it's a great thing for sure. And that's when the media steps in and interrupts it. You need to find this clip online because it is the funniest and most awkward 20 seconds I have of any media conference I've seen in a very, very, very long time. Like insanely long time. Holy shit. And then so obviously uh, fellow idiots like Mark Spector were on Trachos were online defending Matheson, calling Dreisaitl, uh, you know, unprofessional and stuff like that. How unprofessional do you have to be as a media broadcaster to ask someone straight up, why are you being pissy? <laughs> so bad. Anytime you see like Steve Simmons and the boys rally to protect someone, you just know what the right side of the argument is. It's the I, opposite of whatever side they're on. I said yesterday, if you were on the same side as Trachos or Simmons, you know you're on the wrong side of an argument. And I just, I, it blows my mind. This, like, I've never went to media school. I can tell you this is probably something they don't even teach you in media school because they know this is just something that should not be said. They probably assume your mother teaches it to you when you're like six <laughs> years old. It is literally the way a parent talks, talks to their like teenager that is in you know, grade nine or whatever. Like, it is just the most insane thing I've ever heard. And so people were kind of going back at Dreisaitl for the you know everything thing. And that did kind of open it up. Well, here's why he was so mad. A, the, question, the original question in the viral clip is clearly Matheson trying to get him to throw someone under the bus. It is very clearly Jim Matheson trying to say our goaltending sucks or our depth scoring sucks, which is the yep. shittiest thing to do as a reporter to begin with. B, this is the third question Matheson had asked in that, uh, that scrum. Here are the first two. Leon, what's your level of anger with how things are going right now? I know you're frustrated with where you were at the beginning of the season compared to where you are now. Are you angry as well as frustrated? Dreisaitl, he laughed and then said, yeah, I mean, of course it's frustrating. Like I said, we're not where we want to be. Anger, I don't know if I call it anger. It's more frustration, but that's obviously something you have to put behind yourself and go back to work. Matheson's next question. Do you think the last two years you've been second in your division and you've shown a lot of maturity, but now that you've lost six in a row, uh, twice, do you think your team was past that, not getting into these long losing streaks? That's when Dreisaitl goes, sure, yeah. And then that's when the third question happens. So Matheson had already asked two, one question for sure that's pretty shitty of the whole six losing, you know, the, the, the second question, there's just, you're trying to egg the guy on. I don't know what you expect there. And then the third question comes in where he's very clearly trying to get, just throw Dreisaitl, throw his teammate on the bus. Why on earth would he ever do that? Yeah, like what's Dreisaitl's incentive here? You know what it came across as to me? Is what? really entitled. Yes, very, very entitled. And like, and so I don't like, everyone's got different things. It's not up to the, the players to give you a good quote either. Like, yeah, unfortunately, it would, people always say like it's, it would be better for the sport if players gave good quotes. That's probably true, but like, let's be honest, Leon Dreisaitl probably doesn't care about that. Well, and like, I've taught, like, I was listening 
to um, you know, other people like Mike Johnson was on TSN Overdrive the other yesterday, and he was saying he's like, I've talked to Leon lots of times, and like I've heard him in other media scrums. He does give very well thought out answers. Like he, he's a smart thinker about the game or whatever. It's just clear that he wasn't having any of these questions, and that is totally fair because he's being led on. Yep. And so the other thing that is just absolutely absurd, and the reason why Leon is probably, I, I would have to imagine that Leon Dreisaitl, you know, Connor McDavid's shown frustration as well, why they were probably so pissed off is because the Edmonton media who, you know, is sticking it to the players with these hard-hitting questions are absolutely soft as baby shit when it comes to asking the general manager and head coach these same goddamn questions. Yeah, they just turn into the biggest shields in the world. Then, <laughs> Literally, like they don't ask anything like this. At all. Where's the questions about how bringing in Duncan Keith for his leadership has gotten them out of the, you know, Duncan Keith, the almighty leader was supposed to help this year and, you know, preventing anything like that. That's why they brought him in at the cap hit and, and the price they did. Well, what has Duncan Keith done in these two, the six game losing streaks that have happened twice in a row now, as this team has slid to the bottom of the division? You know, where, where's that? Where are you asking the head coach or, or the GM that? And, you know, and people said rightfully that Ken Holland doesn't speak every day. He spoke about a week and a half ago and no one came out and said anything. So, you know, where are the people asking Ken Holland why he thought it was a good idea to go in with 39-year-old Mike Smith signing him to a two-year deal and Miko Koskinen, who you know has been the, one of the most unreliable goalies of the past three years in terms of being hot and cold and just honestly an average goalie. Where are the questions there? That, you know, you everyone went and looked at you and said, oh yeah, this goaltending duo could suck and you still went into the year with it. Where's the questions there that you took your six million dollars that you had to upgrade the depth and spent it all on Zach Hyman, who you're just playing alongside Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid, anyways? Where are those questions for the head coach and GM? Because they sure as hell are coming from the media who like to pat themselves on the back for quote unquote asking the hard questions when it comes to the players. Why would Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid have to answer for that? It's stupid. This is a hockey Hall of Fame level journalist, apparently. Too. I had to Google it to make sure he wasn't a hockey Hall of Fame player. Now, this is the best part is he's not even it's he's in the hockey hall of fame the way that like an ECHL goalie's mask or the ECHL goalie whose mask went into the hall of fame or something like that. Okay. That makes sense. It's uh, it's an award that other writers vote on and it's just a plaque in the hall of fame. Oh, okay. So he's not a hockey hall of famer. He's just a guy who has his name in the hockey hall of fame on a plaque that other shills like him have <laughs> voted on. That makes more sense because I was like, how on earth did this man ever get in the hall? Like, even the Steve Simmons of the world don't, like, often tweet about this guy. No, like, it's it's just something that, like, of course this happens in the Edmonton media, too. This honestly could not happen anywhere else. It had to be Edmonton. Just the most unique place on earth. Oh, like... And like now that and like again, like I get like Dreisaitl probably didn't need to shoot him with the you know everything comment. But can you blame the guy? Matheson's trying to write his same shitty story for the third week in a row about how poor leadership Dreisaitl and McDavid don't know how to get it done. While the real problem with the team is that they have two MVP all-star level players, and they're still barely scraping by to make the playoffs because the yeah. team sucks. And no one wants to call them out. They get every year they get praised in the media for what they have done in the offseason, at the trade deadline, whatever. They bring in the grit, they bring in the leadership. This is going to plow them forward. And then every year they fall flat on their ass because, of course, they do. And all the journalists go, Well, how could you ever see this coming? You got to ask, Is the two best players leading this team well enough? Is this actually Connor McDavid's fault? I hope to God. And I don't hate Edmonton fans. Some of them seem annoying, but some of them just. Well, some of all fans are annoying. Yeah, but some of most of them seem to just be as distraught with the team as, you know, like we are not seeing McDavid and Trisad on the playoffs every year. I hope to God for this media market's sake that both Trisad and McDavid ask for a trade this summer. God, that would be funny. It's got to happen at some point, right? I cannot see if they miss the playoffs this year. I cannot see how, unless they are like top of the division and win multiple rounds next year, they don't ask out. Yeah, like there's just nothing. 
Like if they miss the playoffs this year and then sneak into a wild card next year to get absolutely shit kicked by the avalanche, how do you not ask out at that point? Yeah. Like it's, it's clear this organization is, is incompetent and it has been for a very long time. It's the best part. Years and years and years. Like most teams have like a, what if, right. Or like a, well, they at least do like X, Y, and Z. Well, like, for Ken Holland, you have to go back to when we were like 11 years old to do that. Yeah, like this is the same conversation we had last week about why this team sucks. Yeah. The only difference is now, for some reason, it's the cap, the, the two players that are on pace for like 350 points combined between the two of them that people are trying to blame it on. Yep. Just, just glorious. I just. It's so stupid. I was also kind of thinking with this, like how much of a shit fit would reporters in the NHL have with Bill Belichick then? If this is like that answer from dry is enough to be a day long event on Twitter. Or like if the Marshawn, like Marshawn Lynch came on and said, I'm just here. So I don't get fined. Don't like, get fined. yeah. Like, yeah. Imagine someone said that like, and oh man, like the, the word entitled is just the best way to put it. It really is. Because remember like a couple of years ago, Ryan Rashog was absolutely pissed off that the starting goaltender wasn't uh, meeting with the media that day. And he was like, for us in the trenches, it's hard work down here. Yeah. That's and why it's like Ryan Rashog every remembrance day in the end. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you're, if your job requires on you getting some, generic answer from the backup goalie and that's the same here if your article requires you getting some generic answer on this misleading question that you gave the player who is literally scoring at 150 point pace you're probably not very good at your job or need to scrap your article and get something different yeah it's certainly a bad sign like and again like i get it it can be a hard job you know it's I can't imagine writing a daily column or anything like that would be easy to keep keep uh, topics flowing. But man, to when you don't get the answer that you like, especially after you've asked multiple stupid questions and have done it probably for weeks in a row, to ask flat out, why are you being pissy? I just like I straight up like I hope that Dreisaitl does not answer a single question from him on. I, I hope Dreisaitl's teammates don't ask answer a single question from here here on out. It wouldn't shock me if he gets blackballed at least a little bit. He certainly deserves it. It's it's either going to be that or it's going to be the exact opposite where it's like Dreisaitl has to come out and make this big apology. But I hope it's that, not. That will make me so sad if Leon has to come out and say sorry for this. But it would be the most hockey thing in the world. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think. Was it? I think it was Voracek that absolutely ripped. Was it Sam Karchidi, I believe? Yeah, the flyer. Uh, yeah, where he was just like, "What's it matter? You're gonna write shit anyways." <laughs> I've never even heard of that guy. Maybe a good way to get like noticed is just write stupid stuff over and over, and then get flamed. Well, that's I knew Sam Carcini because he had write uh, he wrote stupid stuff over and over. I think, I think it was Sam Carcini. Yeah, <laughs> league not happy with uh, uh, Jake Forjack's outburst at reporter. Uh, oh wait, no, it was sorry. Inquire call Miss Mike's uh, Mike Selsky, a weasel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. So it wasn't Karchidi. It was, uh, um, yeah, no. Okay. Sorry. My, my bad. It wasn't Karchidi. It was Mike Selsky, who I had never heard. Of. I don't, I've never heard of that. But yeah, I asked him a question. He's like, he called him a weasel and told him he was going to write effing shit anyway. So, um, uh, yeah. And I don't think, like, Vor, I think Voracek, yeah, I don't think he ever came out and actually apologized for that or anything. So, um, I, I hope Drysidal doesn't have to. But uh, again, of course, it's the, Effing Edmonton media, you know, a weasel, such a good term, but yeah, <laughs> a, yeah, a weasel really is. It cuts deep. It does. <laughs> so. Um, I didn't really have there again. There wasn't too too much to talk about tonight. Um, I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to discuss. 
I don't think so. NHL by Maddie came in clutch for us. <laughs> yes, that was a big part. I was going to try and get to maybe another game mode of where they're a uh, game of where they plan now together, but there's so many just random uh, uh, taxi squad guys up on some teams that I, I didn't even want to put it together. Uh, the, the one thing I did want to quickly touch on was uh, uh, Dom Lushishin, uh of the athletic had a really interesting article in it, or thing in his uh, 16 stats today that uh Drew Doughty has been back to like, like better than peak Drew Doughty this year. And I'll probably would have been, so his article was that he would have been vindicated if he would have been picked for the Olympic team. He's been that good this year. Hmm. Really? And yeah, that caught me off by surprise too, but um, all in all that he's been worthy of 0.9 wins, according to G- GSVA on an 82 game pace of 3.5 wins. His career high is 3.3 back in 2009, 2010. That's undoubtedly team caliber Canada caliber. And since December 9th, after settling in from return, uh, return from injury, Doughty has been even better posting a 64% expected goals rate. Wow. Good for him. The RAPM charts love him too. Yeah. So um, that is something I did not uh, see coming is Doughty's, you know, return to actually being a very good player. Um, And, you know, I, I, it's something that I wonder with uh, Eric Carlson, where now, granted, Carlson, I haven't checked his numbers in a while. I know he's still racking up points. His RPM numbers are bouncing back, too. He's not great defensively by any means, but, uh, you know, he's, he's back in, like, two standard deviations for almost all offensive categories. And I'm just trying to pull up Dom's player cards, which are really cool, by the way. And if you haven't uh, checked those out, definitely go, go do so. Um, yeah, the new player cards are sick. Yeah, they're they're really awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I do kind of wonder if you know, with Carlson and Doughty, these guys that we kind of kind of looked like they were, I don't want to say written off, but you know, looked like they were definitely going to be just absolutely atrocious contracts, and at least are starting to look this year like if they keep playing somewhat like this, might not be so bad. Um, I wonder if it's something where you know, with more m- modern medicine is it possible that we're starting to overstate injuries when you're 30? Because I think it is grand or maybe overstate injuries for absolute star players, you know? Um, and if they can bounce back from that, realize, you know, that anything's kind of, anything's not, I don't, I don't know what the right way to phrase this because obviously, you know, you see with guys like um, James Neal, I think is a really good example. Great year at 29, 30 when he's Vega, uh, in Vegas, Vegas lets him go, signs a massive contract and is just, not good for the entirety of that deal, right? I think he signed it. Was it in Calgary and got traded to Edmonton or the other way around? Yeah, because signing Calgary at trade, I think one for one for yeah. Lucic, right? In Edmonton yeah. and then eventually got bought out. Like, I think he's on St. Louis or something now. I don't even know if he's playing right now. Like, that's how downhill he's gone. And a lot of, I think he had an injury to start, but like players like that, obviously. But James Neal came from like a first line player baseline. Eric Carlson and Drew Daddy came from like elite top tier defenseman baseline. I wonder if there's something to it where it's like when you're that good, if you keep getting injured, obviously there's nothing you can do, but if you can rest and get healthy, you know, like both of those guys took a lot of the past two years off at times. Um, is there something to maybe being able to bounce back and buck an age trend more than, you know, we've seen in past years before. Yeah, there very well could be, especially with Carlson, too, with the injuries, and maybe Doughty, just simply motivation. Yeah, that was a big thing where it was like coming into the year, people were like, and Doughty himself said, like, he's going to be motivated because, you know, he didn't like being left off all the the list for Team Canada and stuff. And again, like, it's hard to quantify that because we've seen people say that and then they just suck anyways. But, you know, now you see that with like Drew Doughty and he is actually really good again. Yeah, and I was thinking, too, with that, like, the team around him doesn't suck like it has for most of the time Drew Doughty's been bad. Yeah, and, you know, maybe maybe it's part of, you know, he's just not uh, a guy who can carry a team, like, carry horrible teammates or whatever anymore. But, you know, when the team around him is competent, he looks really good. Yeah, yeah, he probably just needs some help, especially at 32 or whatever he is. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And so uh, I just looked up Eric Carlson's uh, uh, player card as well. So his projected this year was like a top def- top defenseman. He is on uh, star pace again for Dom. So uh, I love to see that personally. Um, you know, he uh, is my favorite player of all time. Um, right now, it still says his market value is probably $8 million, even though his salary is eleven point five. But if you can get $8 million Eric Carlson, that's looking a lot better than like the three million it kind of looked for the past couple of years. 
Yeah, exactly. Just as long as he's a number one defenseman, you know, obviously you're more happy, the better he is, but yeah. And his his active liability is huge. Yeah. His game score numbers have been fun or his GSVA has been fun the past couple of years, 2018, 19, it was 3.1 2019, 20, it was 1.4 last year, negative 0.3. And this year he's on pace for 2.4. So again, not quite his peak numbers or anything like that, but closer to that than what he was the past two years. So, um, yeah, that was just an, another interesting thing I had saw that I uh, wanted to bring up quickly um, because, you know, it's not something I put any thought into, really. Um, you know, I kind of really went completely under the radar for me. Yeah, it's kind of cool to see. Mm, and it it, it kind of explains right why they're, you know, second in the division now. Like, Yeah, because all the – prospects coming up it was clear they were going to need nhl quality help too mm-hmm. and, and uh, doubty being good is certainly one way to achieve that yeah and it's not even like their prospects have really made a massive difference this year and like byfield's been hurt for the whole year unfortunately yeah um and velarde was down in the minors turcot's been uh, turcot's up right now uh and kaliev is i believe as well um and just i, I don't know how yeah, Turcotte's gotten eight games without a point, though. Like, he's played in eight NHL games, doesn't have a single point. So it's not like he's uh, fast-forwarding this team at all either, right? But um, uh, Tobias Bjornfoot is up as well, and Michael Anderson on the blue line. So their blue line's gotten a lot younger, too. Like, their average age is now 24.7, and Drew Doughty's the oldest one on there at 32. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really have my. The, the other thing, I guess, I should say of them being second is their division sucks ass. But true, it is just like pathetically bad. The fact that the Oilers are second last in the division right now. Granted, they have five less games played than everyone but Calgary, and six less games played than the Ducks, and they're about eight points behind. So there is a good chance that you know if McDavid and Drysaddle will just snap off a bunch of points in the next couple of games that they're right back in the mix. But it just it really goes to show how pathetic that team is. You love to see it. <laughs> you 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 kind of do. I I want to see. I just I want to see them in the playoffs. I really do. But I, at this point, I kind of want them. To, I want McDavid to request a trade because I'm just genuinely curious to see what the package for that would even look like. That'd be so like, cool. You it starts with three first round picks, right? Yeah, it's one of those things. You probably like there isn't enough picks, so you basically need to have a top prospect to get it done. Like you need to be the LA Kings sitting on Byfield or whatever. It is absolutely, I would say, well, because the cap space is a tough part of it too, right? So it's like, but I would say if I'm if I'm Edmonton, I'm asking for for McDavid minimum three firsts, your best prospect, and hopefully that is like a top tier prospect, and then they're gonna have to take some salary back the other way. So then it's like. I don't know, a fine roster player, a bad contract, and a couple more picks probably. And even that, I think Edmonton loses that trade 95% of the time. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I'm thinking from a Leafs perspective, like you can't just like start that with Robertson and Amirov, no matter how many picks you're adding to it. No, like unless it's like six years worth of first or something like that. Yeah, like it literally needs to be six years of first and seconds if you can't start it off with like Byfield or like what's his name? That's Shane Wright or something like that. Yeah, because like even this year, like I'm looking at Carolina, like Seth Jarvis and like your next and then Carolina doesn't even have their first this year. But like if you said like the next three first round picks, Seth Jarvis and like. I don't know, name another prospect that's pretty good for them. Uh I feel like they had a they had a bunch in the in the World Juniors this year. Name whatever the I don't like name their next best prospect, right? Whoever that may be. Um, that's probably still not enough to even like make Ed, uh, Edmonton want to do that trade. Nope. Because you know you know when McDavid on Carolina is going to mean this team is like conference final minimum. Yeah, and then it would probably be like. Like the trade would have to be, you're probably taking like Jake Gardner's contract back or like Brady Shea's probably to get 5.25 off the books. Do you ask for like a Martin Nikash back as like your fine roster player? Well, that was the other thing. So if you're not going to do a prospect, you could probably get away with 
Martin Nikash, I don't think is nearly good enough. No, when Martin Nikash, like two years ago, what he thought was going to be. Yeah, like which gets into exactly why this trade is always going to be terrible because uh, we thought Martin Nikash was going to be that kind of player. Or like, here's one for like Philly, Joel Farabee. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Or like Anthony Sorelli, like two years ago when he was killing it at age 21 or whatever. Yeah, and that's what Farabee's 21, just signed like a $5 million contract. Looks like he's going to be like a, a good first line winger. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of so, those trades that you basically can't not look like just a dork on HF boards trying to make like <laughs> literally like any anything you you propose would just be like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> like I I don't I, I'm generally curious to what that like trade proposals would look like and like imagine Ken Holland's a, you you can't let Ken Holland by the way do that trade right if it gets to the point where like he's asking out you have to fire the GM by that point right yep I but like so. imagine Ken Holland being like yeah like a first round pick and a a prospect I really like that's gonna get this deal done like well Ken Holland Nick, is the greatest scout in the history of the world <laughs> Nick Foligno goes for more than Connor McDavid. Let me learn you a thing or two about Ken Holland. He found Pavel Datsuk, <laughs> uh, meaning you should probably trust him to do this trade. He yes. also found Zetterberg right after. So biggest brand on earth? Answers on I would say so. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know if you've heard about those guys, but uh, yeah. they were pretty good. He never did it again in 23 years, but we're certain it was pure talent that he did it with those two. So he should probably bat lead off on this. Yeah, hey, don't forget that, uh, you know, he knew Russians were a thing before people as well and also had doubled the budget of anyone else, so. Yeah, you do deserve a lot of credit in in 2021 for realizing that Swedish people don't suck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think for realizing that in the 90s, that's who I want my GM to to be good at nowadays. Man, what a sad state the franchise is in. Like, Ottawa's sad, but like... Like the day, I'm just going to say when, because at this rate, it almost feels inevitable that Connor McDavid, like Elliot Friedman does go on 31 thoughts and says, Connor McDavid has asked out of Edmonton will be the greatest day in hockey Twitter history. It would be just nuts because every team would just be have their proposals for like what they would offer every, like like, this is the the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, there would just be like, the, the fucking like New York Islanders would be like, here's our first round pick and Bodie Wild. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, no. Oh, you know man. Tree, like Vesna Toskla going to be going nuts on the. Oh, <laughs> on the God. Yeah. Because this is the only like time it would ever make sense for all other 31 teams to actually be like mocking trades up for something. Because like usually you see it's like, I don't know, like a couple of years, Kevin Shattenkirk, when he was really good, is on the, or uh, McDonough is on the trading block or whatever. And it's like, you just randomly have teams that are rebuilding. Like, here's what my package would look like for him. It's like a third round pick, a C-level prospect, and then like a roster player. It's like, A, why would this make sense for either team? B, that's never going to be taken. This is one of the few times where it's like, okay, I like, maybe I could see it. I don't know, but the other thing that I am so interested if is, and like we're probably going too far, you know, knowing hockey, but like, there's no movement clause kicks in next year. So like, assuming they don't trade him by July 1st this year, which obviously that's not going to happen. He gets, he gets to choose where he goes next year or, you know, whenever, if he requests out at the end of this, uh, at some point in this contract. And that makes it a lot tougher for Edmonton, I think too. That'd be so cool. Cause like, obviously it's one of those things where he has theoretically infinite value, but that almost like limits who he can go to. Cause most teams can't meet that. So like that just severs the market for him even farther. Yeah. Because you, you chop off a bunch of teams that are so good. Like Toronto, as much as they would love it, like, I just don't see what they're like. They're just not making that cap situation work. If they could, maybe they would try to do it. But yeah. like, like the Avs are another one where it's just like, yeah, I'm sure they'll be making a pitch, but all in reality, they have so many good players that are rising contracts. And we know the way the NHL works. They're usually just going to keep their own guys. So that already takes like a top level of really good teams. He'd want to go out of. He's not going to want to go to a team that's absolute shit and trying to rebuild for a couple more years. 
And he's probably yeah. not going to want to go to the teams that are in that 20 to 30 range because putting him there only makes them like 15th or whatever. So there's like probably a randomly specific teams of like the four to 16 ish range where it's like he would actually want to go to. And who knows out of that, those teams, how many of them actually have like the cap space or assets to make it work. Yeah, exactly. Like you need, you need like Anaheim to be decent and be and trade like Zegris for it kind of thing. Yeah, like, and be willing to part with your first round picks for the next couple of years, which is a scary proposition because, like, again, look at what Edmonton would be giving up if they gave theirs up the past couple of years. And, like, this is even, like, even last year, their pick was higher in the draft than it probably should have been if they were playing in a normal division because most of the Canadian division tried to actively lose by the end of the year. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, like, I I don't – that would just be absolute chaos, but chaos we would absolutely be here for. Um, it's still a while away. Like, I can't see that. Unless they, like – you would probably they, – they would have to absolutely just, like, lose every game this year, finish, like, fourth last, and lose both lotteries. And maybe even, like, get jumped in the lottery so they pick sixth or something like that for McDavid to request out this summer, I think. I think – Next year would be the earliest I could see it happening. Yeah, like you'd have to give me some pretty ludicrous odds to bet on it happening this summer. Yeah, and even next summer, like I I would still put it at below 50%. But like if they suck again next year, I don't know how you can't at least consider it. It has to happen eventually. I hope if they keep messing up this badly, you would think there's no other alternative eventually. But but like, yeah, like if if you're Edmonton, what incentive do you have to do it? Unless they, they're the ones who are forcing it, you know, like. Oh yeah. If you're Edmonton, you might as well keep him as long as he's willing to stay. It's Connor fucking McDavid. You're going to lose the trade. Yeah. And even like, you're, you're not winning a Leon Dreisaitl trade because, you know, like his, he's not as good as McDavid, but he is still absolutely what, like a top five centerman, top 10 player in the league. No question. The Dreisaitl trade is just going to look like the Eichel one, but marginally better. I'm sure. Yeah, because and Dreisaitl makes 8.5 or yeah. 9 or whatever he makes. I think it's 8.5. Like, and people are going to hear that statement and sound insane because Dreisaitl's got no injury and stuff. But, like, I don't know. I would be willing to bet it wouldn't be that much bigger of a package than Jack Eichel. No, I think it'll be a first, a top prospect. I think you get a better prospect than Peyton Krebs, to be fair. I would think, yeah. But, but like... That's the, it's, that's the baseline. It's yeah, it'll happen. probably be a first, a top prospect. Maybe you can get like a second and a third. Maybe you get a second first. But like, it's not going to be like four first round picks or anything like that. Nope. No, it is not. So anyways, that uh, that took us a lot longer than I was planning on going about 15 minutes ago. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. Uh, I actually wrote something for once this week. So you can find that last word on hockey.com. I wrote about why Eric Brandstrom deserves to be playing in the NHL. I've been beating this drum for three years, but um, you know, I thought he really showed it over the past couple of games. So I wrote about it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff. Uh, you can also find chase on Twitter at CM hockey 66, and I'll find his work at actionnetwork.com. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. I will talk to you all next week.